Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first ever live podcast. I'm your host, Molly Ford, co-founder of The Food Lens, your online resource for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston. On each episode of this podcast, we chat with restaurant industry insiders, digging into business, passion projects, and food trends to see what's shaping the New England restaurant scene. Hi, everybody. I'm Catherine Smart, the other co-host. Um, I'm co-founder of The Not Just Company and a local food writer. We're so excited to have you guys here. Um, we are all here at Taste uh, 2019 for those um, tuning in and not here live. Uh, it's an amazing event that highlights a lot of uh, chefs and hospitality people and kind of the best of uh, the Boston restaurant scene. Um, and also a portion of the proceeds tonight go to help No Kid Hungry. So we're really happy to be a part of the event. It's a little different being here tonight instead of our, our cozy studio in Alston. Um, the live atmosphere is exciting. It's a little noisier, but we can drink wine here, so that's fun. I mean, I'm just here for the wine, guys, so it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys like Pinot Noir. That's what I poured for you tonight. <laughs> um, but first, we're going to chat with Tony Maz from Craigie on Main and more recently, Craigie Burger, and Karen Akunowitz from Fox and the Knife. First, I want to get started with Tony. Uh-oh. <laughs> Thank you guys, by the way, for being here um, on your busy night, and congratulations for making, uh, you know, Boston Magazine's November issue. Always honored to be here. This is like, this is one of the events we all look forward to. It's a good time. And then I always get, you know, teased because I get caught playing with some of the toys. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you crawl up Absolutely. the... Absolutely. Uh... <laughs> you don't? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, for people who aren't here tonight and might just be listening, we're in the Boston Children's Museum. Obviously, this uh, event marks the November issue, which sort of like with fashion, with the September issue with Vogue. Right. On the Boston food scene, it's when the 50 best new restaurants come out. So it's a very exciting time. Um, well, yeah, welcome. Like I said, let's start with Tony. I want to talk about, you know, your culinary journey in Boston. Uh, yeah. You started uh, with Craigie Street Bistro in 2002. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where the journey started as an owner. But, I mean, cooking long before that, working for some tremendous people, Chris Lessinger at the original East Coast Grill. And then, yeah, uh, Ken Oranger, Cleo. I had just come back from France. Uh, I was working there for a while. And there was a sort of scene that was percolating in Paris of these really young but really talented chefs that were coming out of the Michelin, uh, you know, standardly two, three Michelin-star restaurants and pretty much giving their finger to the system, saying, well, don't tell me that I have to buy thousands of dollars of flowers in Bernadotte, China, just to make the food delicious. I'm going to go buy these little bistros and do use all their phenomenal technique, but it could be a little rustic, maybe the silverware didn't match, and it just completely resonated with me because I've said forever that I'm a jeans and t-shirt guy and you know I love champagne caviar and foie gras and like back then those two things didn't usually go together so when we stumbled upon this little basement uh, restaurant outside Harvard Square on the side street with no parking and it was in the basement of this apartment building we were Making like it easy for yourself right yeah right no parking can't find it this is way before map anything you know and uh and it just felt like well this is what we're gonna do and we did it on half of a shoestring, and everything was held together with duct tape and twine. So then Craigie Street Bistro yeah. moved and turned into Craigie on Main. Yeah, we had a really wild six years in the bistro. Um, there are things about it that I'll always miss, but there's a lot of things about it that I will never miss. And it was definitely time <laughs> to think about something a little bit bigger where my wife and I had forever been walking by this building in Central Square really funky architecture, and it's really old. It's like early 1800s, and it was this wonderful old-school 
Italian restaurant called La Grosseria, but it had kind of run its course. It had been there since 1971, and, and when it kind of came time for us to start thinking about next steps, we literally walked inside and we're like, so you're probably ready to retire. And Craigie on Main was born. Craigie is an OG spot. I've loved it for a long time. Everyone's loved it for a oh, long that's time. That's awesome. Thank you. But here you are opening Craigie Burger most recently, yeah. which is so different. Yeah. And can you tell us about the decision you made to open a more fast, casual vibe at Time Out Market in Fenway? Yeah, I mean, the decision came from a lot of directions and, and for forever. I mean, we did the burger originally uh, at Craigie on Main because when we opened up, it was 2008 and the recession hit. And, you know, we were like, oh, oh shit, like, what do we do now? I'm supposed to be like this fancy, pre-fee, tasty menu thing. And what if people don't want to spend that money? So we decided to put this burger on the bar menu just so that there would be an option, you know. And one day I got this phone call from Bon Appetit and they said, we love your burger. And I said, that's so amazing. Thank you. And they're like, we're going to call it one of the best in America. And I was like, wow, thanks. <laughs> I want to know. So, and then, then they're like, and we're putting it on the cover. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Tony, sorry, I want to stop you right there just because fast casual is something that we were talking a lot about before this. And I know, Karen, you have, we're going to talk, to, talk about Fox and the Knife because obviously everyone is so excited about Fox and the Knife. Because but it's you awesome. also have the, the you. fast casual Whole Foods um, slow poke. Slow poke. Yeah. Slow poke. I just call it the poke situation. The poke situation. Um, yeah. But I, I would love too. for it's you fine. to just kind of weigh in as we're talking about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, I was really lucky. Whole Foods has been a wonderful partner to me. Um, and when they approached me about doing something, I just thought that it made so much sense. I mean, you know, we keep saying like no sad desk lunch, right? So yes. you're able to go into Whole Foods, right? Whether you're just coming in for lunch or you're getting everything else and get something that's really delicious, um, you know, craveable toppings, bright flavors, really vibrant, made right in front of you. And I think it goes along with their ethos as well as, you know, flavors and food that I really love. We, we've seen such a shift to that sort of fast casual situation. Um. And wait, situation. <laughs> Everything's situation. And being able to, but also being able to get that. I mean, I, I very much see folks who are, you know, wanting to come in and get the burger and being like, oh my God, I can go to timeout mar market and I can get the Craigie burger or saying, you know, I can go to Whole Foods and I can get a poke bowl and I don't have to sit down in a restaurant, spend the same amount of money, but I can get the same quality and walk away with that and get something that is certainly designed by a chef. Karen, you just nailed it on the head because I think, not, not saying, just saying, like there's not as many people as I would like to see doing it well and right. staying true to their ethos and using ingredients that they're still proud to, you know, use and look at their kids in the eye and be like, this is good. You know, we always think of fast as making a lot of compromises to make that fast. And I think what Karen's been able to do and what we're doing at Craig Yamain is really sticking to our guns. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a premium of a price, but, right. but that said, you know what you're getting. And we are, you know, our meat is Northeast Family Farms and the bun is... You know, collaboration with Iggy's Bread and the pickle is our pickle recipe outsourced to someone making it for us because of the volume. The ketchup is still being made at Craigie on Main. So when you come to Craigie Burger, yes, of course, there are some things that are going to be a wee bit different. They have to be. But that said, it's it's super high quality. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. One of the things that, you know, that we do is like every vegetable, every piece of fruit, every dressing is done by hand. So you can go to a 
throw a stone, hit a poke shop. Um, but I've got chefs that are breaking down whole salmon. I'm flying in tuna from Honolulu Fish Market in Hawaii. Like, it's beautiful product. Um, and it's everything is done by hand. Everything is fresh. And I think there is a difference. And I know very much that's what you do as well. Um, you know, and the price is reflective of that. But the quality is reflective of it as and well. Just, I mean, I to, think- just to pivot for a second. Um, you know, you both have done the fast casual thing really well, but also, like, there's so many people here because you have these amazing sit-down restaurants. And Karen, you opened Fox the Knife. Now, a lot of us know you from, you know, Myers and Chang and Back There with the Walk, and you were fully ingrained <laughs> in that business. You were a partner in that business. Yeah, absolutely. We've all read about and talked about how difficult it is to strike out on your own these days and open an independent restaurant. Sure. Like, why was now the time? <laughs> Tell us what you were thinking. You know, <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought, I'm not that busy. I'll just, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, I, you know, Christopher and Joanne have been my dear friends and my mentors and partners for such a long time. I had coffee with Christopher today. Um, and we, you know, I was at Myers and Chang as the chef and as the partner for seven years. Um, I always say that I went to the Joanne Chang School of Business. Um, you know, I want to go. So yeah, it's pretty great. Um, so that piece of it was really, really helpful for me in opening, uh, Fox and the Knife. You know, we had talked about doing another restaurant together, the three of us, and it just ended up that that wasn't the direction we were going to go in. Um, you know, we came to it, the decision for me to leave all together with a lot of love and it was a really hard decision. Leaving really felt like cutting my arm off. Um, but in the end it was, it was the right thing to do. And I think that we all knew that, you know, everyone thinks that it's incredibly exciting, right? It's like, Oh my God. Yeah. And you're going to go and you're going to do your own thing. And it's amazing. (laughs) And, and for me, I was kind of like, yeah, it's amazing. I have to like raise a lot of money and I'm really scared. And what if nobody, what if nobody comes, right? Like that was my thing. Like what if I kept saying, to my, my team, I'd be like, well, what if nobody comes? What if we're not busy? What if we close? Karen, you didn't just say it to your team. You said it to Kat Kinsman in an interview oh, that yeah, you were in a gondola. In, in a gondola. Oh, my God, I know. Well, Kat no always makes come. me cry. I'm like, yeah, let me tell you what's going on. It's really challenging. <laughs> but I love no, that. You were so open and honest about this. Tr- well, because, because that's the thing, right? Like, in a world where social media and Instagram and all of the things, all they show is it's the good, right? Like, look at my vacation and look at my busy restaurant and all those things. There's Everything is a freaking challenge. It's hard. Look at and, me running down the hall with a plunger in right, my hand. Ab- it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, right, absolutely. So I think that being realistic is, one, showing people that nobody's alone. Um, and two, it's just saying, like, hey, like, we're all just human beings and we're all just doing this and we're all trying really freaking hard. Um, you know, and Tony, when you talk about opening Craig Street Bistro, you know, it reminds me a lot the way of that we opened Fox and the Knife. We didn't have a ton of money. We didn't have a ton of investors. We did the demo ourselves, the painting ourselves, like, and, and it's an old building. And that was completely a labor of love. And that was the only way that I could, in my mind, make sense to get it done. Um, and, you know, and people seem to like it and they come and we get to, you know, I get to have my dream restaurant and hang out and make ricotta every night. You there know? is the exciting parts too. It turns out. <laughs> it turns out that's why you're both still here. For those of our listeners or anyone in the audience who doesn't know Fox and the Knife, who hasn't dined there, can you tell us about it? Describe it. What can sure. someone expect when they walk in the door? So Fox and the Knife is an enoteca and restaurant. Um, I lived in Modena, Italy for a year uh, working as a pasta maker and then later working as a chef. So um, Fox and the Knife for me is an incredibly selfish endeavor. Um, I want 
wanted to create some, something that I was missing. Um, and I wanted to create a space um, that reminded me of the places that I hung out when I lived there and the food that I ate. Um, and it's such an important piece of my culinary journey and the food that I love and the people that I love. So it's really kind of like a love letter to Emilia Romagna um, and, you know, surrounding regions as well. So it's bustling. The whole front of the restaurants are Anoteca. It's loud. It's busy. It has a ton of energy. It's really fun. Uh, the dining room is a tiny bit more subdued, but not that much. Um, and it's a neighborhood restaurant. I mean, that's what we... That's what I created it to be. Well, I think you nailed the vibe. I love your neon. What is it? Stay, stay foxy. foxy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we should all stay foxy. Girl, you know, is right, Tony? Life is. I'm, I'm working hard Tony at that. Is, Tony is very. Tony, I see your hat. You're very foxy. <laughs> I need all the help I can get. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Tony, so no, sir. <laughs> I mean, you were talking about kind of the pivot to opening the burger restaurant in yeah. Time Out. And I don't want to say you've been around for a long time. Um, you can say that. It's but cool. you were the one that harkened back to like it's the cool. early infancy of Clio and all of those um, other restaurants that you worked at. So I'm curious, um, what advice would you give to these scrappy young dreamers with the light in their eyes You're that not, think they're going to go You guys aren't going to like this. Throw away Instagram. <laughs> like food, food is not about Instagram. Food uh -oh. does not look a certain way. Food tastes a certain way. It smells a certain way. It feels a certain way. And that's why like, most of us have fallen in love with it. And then you make people smile because of it. But I mean, more, more from the chef perspective of what that has done, I think a lot of people are gunning for a look as opposed to really understanding foundations and where it's coming from and also how to be true to themselves because if you're only really looking at the aesthetic of food you're copying or you're even indirectly copying a look and that's not what food is that's that's the thing I wish more and that's one of the things that we really talk a lot about at the kitchen at Craig Yamane because obviously it's very present on Instagram and, and things like that and I'm not I'm I, I, I'm exaggerating of course <laughs> but you know some of the, like my most favorite cookbooks are the older ones that actually talk about food and cooking. You know, Paula Wolford, and it's not about the photo. You Brown know. food can be really beautiful. You know, Madeline Kamen, like phenomenal cooks who taught, those words are what taught me to think about food in a certain way. It wasn't the pictures. So to me, that's a, a I want to make sure we're reminding younger cooks about that as an influence. I think that's good advice. I'm interested, you know, speaking of social media and Instagram and you guys, you know, you having just opened Craigie Burger and Fox and the Knife just last year, how does that play into opening a new restaurant now as opposed to, you know, a while ago when that wasn't as relevant? So a few years ago, I think we, I won't say we cared a lot more about it, but it was really a part of our conversation. And we almost fell prey to feeling like we needed to give a certain image across. And we began to sort of step back and think about, wait, whoa, whoa, you, you know, what are we doing? Like, what, why... Why are we doing this? And we absolutely want to reach people. I mean, it, this is a business. We have to, if I'm cooking food and no one comes, that's called a hobby and I'm home. So we need to be able to do that. But then I think, again, going back to being true to ourselves. So we've embraced social media in a way that is very much us. We want to be us. Um, we are on a tight schedule tonight. So I want to get a few more questions in before we have to let you go. Um, we had one Instagram follower send in a question for Karen. So AJ wants to know, um, first of all, AJ says, a uh, huge Top Chef fan, huge fan of Fox at the Knife, Fox and the Knife. What is your absolute favorite dish you serve? Congratulations and enjoy the success you've worked so hard to achieve, Oh by my the way. gosh. <laughs> that, that's so nice. Um, Oh, no, I feel like crying. Um, <laughs> Lots of tears tonight. I, <laughs> you guys are doing a great job. Um, 
So I was just in Italy for like eight days and very much so like coming back to the restaurant. Um, I was like, oh, like you have the time away and you come back and it absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I was like, oh, I love it here. This is so great. And my cousin was in town. We sat down to have dinner and um, I ate the Tali Tali Bolognese, the, the wild boar Bolognese. And I was like, oh, that's that's good. Oh, that's good. I mean, that's one of the dishes that kind of the restaurant was built around. But I don't feel that way often. We look at something, everything with such a critical eye um, that you're always picking apart. Is it perfect? Is it seasoned right? Is it this? Is it is the pasta cooked perfectly? Is it made perfectly? And I just ate it as a person sitting there. And I was like, oh, this might be the best thing I ever did. Um, and it's really, you know, it's not fancy. It's definitely grandma cooking. Um, but that would be the Taitali Bolognese. It would be my favorite dish. I love it. Sometimes you have to take a step back, take a step away, and then you can fully appreciate something, right? So eight days in, in Italy, life, do it again. Right? <laughs> well, and more often than not, like we're sticking our fingers in something, and, and that's about it. Bite. And that's it. Like, yeah. Blah, 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 yeah. And that's Absolutely. it. And it's actually the context of the dish and sitting at table 14 with all, you know, you feel in the whole restaurant. We never get to do that. Right. So that's, one of the, that's pretty awesome. One of the things that I, I just did was I gave all of my cooks a dinner for two. I just walked around and I was like, dinner for two, dinner's on us, bottle of wine come in and eat the food and sit down and understand what people are having and understand their experience so that you can better understand the impact that you're having with your food. So you get it because we're all yeah. doing the same thing. We're eating one bite and we're saying like, is this seasoned well? Is it, you know, whatever, whatever. So I think it's super important. All right. Well, before we let you guys go, we want to ask you the same question we ask everyone on our show and you both have to answer. It's our rapid fire round of questions. Jesus. Okay. So I'm, no, I'm not good at this. <laughs> yes, you are. Pressure's on. Everyone's <laughs> watching and listening. <laughs> so I want you each to name your favorite Boston dumpling. Mama Chang's pork and chive dumplings. Myers and Chang. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Can make those in my sleep. <laughs> Is it really bad if I just say ditto? I mean, that's a, that's a yeah. freaking phenomenal dumpling. It's a great Seriously, dumpling. That's legit. <laughs> yeah. That works. All right. Dive. Anchovies? Deluxe? Old school, the stockyard. All right, last two. Dessert? I'm going first. Um, my wife, I say objectively, is a phenomenal baker. She once upon a time ago in another life was a pastry chef. Her carrot cake is stupid. Just oh, absolutely, absolutely stupid. And there's n nothing, nothing that I've tasted. Okay, no. so the wife wins that one. So I, I feel like now I'm like, me too, me too. But <laughs> I'm not a big dessert person, but I just uh, had a birthday and I was away for it. When I came back, my team got me a carrot, Joanne Chang carrot cake because it's the only cake I ever want for my birthday. And everyone was like, we know this is the, literally the only cake that you will eat. And I'm like, it's my favorite. It's so good. <laughs> Joanne's is almost uh, as good. Almost as good as you. I haven't Joanne's. had your one. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to, I'll come over for dinner. Joanne, Taste I'm test. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And lastly, date spot. Neptune Oyster. Oh, yeah. That's Legit. Really good. It's perfect. It's a good choice. Craggy on Maine. It's a great freaking, yes. It's what? a great freaking date restaurant. <laughs> That's like, you, you want to impress somebody? That's, that's where I'm going. <laughs> wow. My mom, I took my mom to Craigie Street, Craigie Street Bistro in the basement. She still talks about that meal and she still remembers what oh, she has. Sucks. She has a picture of us God damn. eating there on her end table in her living room. And it was so important and memorable for her that all these years later, she remembers it. That's like, awesome. That's fucking awesome. Tony has a legit twinkle in that his so eye sweet. right now. No, it's true. <laughs> yeah. She has a picture of she and I sitting there, and she still remembers what she ate. That's huge. 
that's the best compliment of all time. It's pretty Are cool. Are you tearing up? Because I'm a little bit. I'm not joking. You're crying. You're crying. She brought the mom into yeah. it. I mean, come on. Karen Econo is making guys cry since 1978. <laughs> all right. I love it. Well, you guys, we could talk with you for hours, but we do have to wrap it up. Can everyone please give them a round of applause uh, for coming on our first live podcast <laughs> show? Yeah. I also didn't know this was the first one. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank yeah, you. seriously. Big round of applause. We're doing it. You guys killed it. Were you guys nervous? <laughs> were you nervous? Yeah. This was okay, right? Yeah, we were a little nervous, but you guys were great, comfortable, fun. Exactly what I imagined. So thank you. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. We're going to take a, a quick break, everyone. Let's talk for a minute about Weinster. A what-a-stir? Did you say wine? Or am I just imagining it because I am counting down the days until this baby is born and I can pop a celebratory bottle? Well, Weinster curates great wines from small producers in the U.S. You browse their collection of unique, hard-to-find wines, and then they ship it straight to your door with fast, cheap delivery. Wait a minute. Is this a wine club? Like those pricey fruit basket and Chardonnay things my parents used to pick out from catalogs in the 90s? Definitely not. Weinster does have a club program with special member pricing for some of the best bottles. But there's no commitment, and it starts at just $79 per shipment. Plus, unlike a lot of other clubs, the selections are from small production wineries. You have the option to repurchase your favorite bottles, and you get 24-7 access to an expert wine advisor. Oh, and you get free shipping on wine gifts that you want to send to friends or family or... or co-hosts? Yes, co-hosts. Way to ruin your surprise baby gift. Whoops. So you're telling me I don't need to pack up my baby or put on pants to get great wine? And when I do finally leave the house, I can show up to book club with something so much better than the usual grocery store swill? Exactly. They only work with real wine made by real people, not the mass-produced brands that overwhelm store shelves. So anyone and everyone who loves wine should head to winester.com for more information. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.com. Hello, everyone. We're coming to you from the Boston Children's Museum at Boston Magazine's Taste 2019 event. Uh, we're here with Scott Kiernan. Hi there. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for coming to Taste. Yeah, we love coming to Taste. So that was the easy part. This is actually my first <laughs> taste. It's your first taste? It is. My it, first taste. First taste and first live podcast. A lot of firsts wow. happening. Wow. Big day. A right? lot of e-cards, Catherine. <laughs> Is that inappropriate? I'm here for it. <laughs> Works for me. Well, we're excited to chat with you uh, because you're one of the guys who gets to keep your pulse on the restaurant scene here. And, you know, we've all seen the food, the food and restaurant world change so much in Boston. Um, can you tell us, you know, right now, what are three trends, food trends you're loving in Boston and talk about maybe some trends that you, you would like to see come here? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The food world, the restaurant industry in Boston has changed ugh, it's like night and day between, you know, now and even like five to 10 years ago. I mean, it just transformed so much. In terms of trends, you know, one of the things I really love about Boston is that we are not the kind of city that like hops on trends really easily. I think that does frustrate some people. They would love for us to be a little more, um, shall we say, bandwagon hopping <laughs> sometimes. Because with that, hey, does come some cool factor and comes innovation. 
we like to things to be a little bit more proven before we kind of embrace them. Uh, but that thing, being said, one thing that I'm definitely noticing a ton of is this sort of pre-ticketed, um, intimate communal dining experience. For example, uh, in our top 50 restaurants list, it leads off with, I hope this isn't spoiling anything for anyone, but it, you should have picked up the magazine by now anyway. <laughs> we sure hope so. <laughs> right? Uh, our number one spot is Taste Encounter in Somerville. And, you know, this is a very, very uh, intimate experience. Only a handful of seats and an L-shaped counter. You buy your ticket ahead of time uh, so you can show up really without your wallet and gratuity is included in your, your, uh, your pre-ticketed fee. And you get these amazing, really intimate multi-course experiences. Uh, and you see that as well with another restaurant on our list, very different experience called Tanam, which is a Filipino restaurant in Somerville. Again, you purchase a ticket ahead of time, you just show up, and you get a really interesting experience, a lot of storytelling involved. And I think people are really gravitating to that because especially in like a world where we're all like constantly staring at our smartphones 24 hours a day, like to be able to just like put that down and be with a small group of people and have a kind of theatrical experience that's really intimate. Uh, I think people are really excited about that. Also, cool wine bars. You know what I mean? Like craft beer, of course, is now in a, it's no longer a trend. It's established, right? You can make good beer. Um, of course, craft spirits movement certainly has had legs for a, quite a long time now. We're finally seeing, I think, in Boston, uh, wine being embraced by younger generations. It's not, you know, some sort of fuddy-duddy, uh, inaccessible uh, li liquid that, like, you just have to know already uh, a bibliography's worth of material about. Um, <laughs> with you know, the biodynamic and organic and natural wine movements. People like Lauren Friel at Rebel Rebel in Somerville. Um, we have Crossy coming up, opening in the back bay soon. Uh, it's going to be a Greek wine bar from the folks behind Committee in the Seaport. Uh, and we also have even at Hub Hall, there'll be a place called uh, Now Pouring, which is going to be a wine bar there. I don't think they're going to be working with like natural wines specifically, but just the fact that we'll have a food hall with a wine bar in it, you know, beer, spirits expected. Um, I think we're definitely seeing a lot more of that. So those are two things uh, that come to mind. Yes, for three, didn't you? I mean, you I can, can think of one more. You can give me one more. Let's I'm up hear to the it. Task. Give us one more. I'm up to the task. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Well, here's one that's not really. So it's not like in terms of like finer, high end dining, but that's not what life's all about all the time, right? No. Restaurants that combine like food and games. <laughs> right? Like people now going out to eat used to be something you did before a show or before an activity. Now eating out is the activity, right? So you've got places like um, Banners, which just opened in the West End, humongous sports bar, and they have these top shelf, uh, top golf, excuse me, suites for like immersive golf and hockey and zombie dodgeball, <laughs> which first of all, sign me up for do zombie dodgeball. <laughs> I don't know what that, that entails. <laughs> Uh, but I'm all about it. Uh, <laughs> Flight Club, which is coming to the seaport. It's a dart bar. You've got your axe throwing places uh, in Somerville. I love that that's yes, just a given course. now. Like, you know, you've got your axe throwing Of course. Places. Like, why wouldn't you? Um, Bit Bar, which is this really cool, like, retro arcade bar in uh, Salem, is opening a second location in Malden soon. So finding ways to integrate, like, fun and games into your restaurant experience is definitely a trend that we're seeing, which I'm all about, to be honest. And what about trends that you wish would make their way here. And again, I am also a lifelong New Englander. Like, I kind of appreciate the skepticism with which we approach every trend. But, like, there's <laughs> some stuff that could, could make its way. Absolutely. 
this is going to sound like a kind of abstract trend, but bear with me. One thing I would love to see Boston do more of is like embracing what an amazing food city we are. Because I think when I, when I travel to other cities, uh, I can feel from, you know, certainly the chef community here understands that and embraces that and promotes that very much. But Bostonians, we're like humble to a fault sometimes. You know what I mean? Uh, I remember when I, before I joined the team at Boston Magazine, I worked for Zagat. And I was the Boston editor, and the folks from New York came to town, and we went out to eat at Alton and Harlow. And they were talking about how this was a restaurant that could be in the city. And I was like, no, it's a restaurant that could be in Boston, well, Cambridge, but <laughs> in Same Boston, thing. Camberville, yeah. because we have amazing kickbutt restaurants. And I think that it really starts from people getting out there, like we as the diners, thumping our chest and being like, heck yeah, we don't live in the shadow of any other city. I'm saying heck because I feel like I can't, I, this is fine, right? Like I can <laughs> yes, say, yes. ain't she double hockey sticks? <laughs> um, yeah, so no. hell yeah. Like we can get out there and beat our chest and take some pride and ownership in our city and this great food scene. That's something that I do see in a lot of other smaller cities that don't have anywhere near what we have. And I would love to see us do more of that. I love that. Yeah, I, that I agree lot. with that. Right? Uh, so, of course, we're all here at Taste celebrating the November issue. Yeah. I said earlier to our guests, it's sort of like in fashion, the September issue, but in Boston, we're like, here are the 50 best restaurants. And I think people are really curious about the process of finding those spots. And if we harken back to 2015, actually, Scott, you and I and Jackie yes. Kane and a few others here worked on that project. But as you said, um, the restaurant scene has changed. Food writing has changed. So even I would like to be enlightened. Like, what is this process like of finding? these these top restaurants and naming them i mean of course it's like world's smallest violin you know and i'm like it's so difficult we're <laughs> like really you got you get to eat out like amazing restaurants constantly um but it is really hard because you know this is a multi multi million dollar industry and people's lives and livelihoods depend on it. So like you can't not take that really seriously and the impact that you have on people um one thing that's really important to me, too, is just maintaining as much objectivity as possible. Like, no one wants to read the top 50 list of Scott's favorite places to eat. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's how well and good we can, like, talk after you read the magazine. But I need to step back and, like, check my own preferences, you know, and all the kind of things that accompany me to the table and be objective as possible. So it starts uh, the process by all year long, eating out as much as humanly possible, learning as much as you can about what's going on in the scene. Um, and then, of course, you know, we do a lot of spot testing. Uh, myself, Jackie Kane, the other contributors, we go back to the restaurants more than once because consistency is a really important part of it, right? You can have a really amazing experience and have that be an exceptional case. You can have a really bad experience and have that be an exceptional case. You want to make sure you're guiding people to places that are not just delicious um, and, and thoughtful, but also, like, really consistent. So that's a big part of it. Uh, another thing that's important is remembering that because this is a ranked list, which is also sort of fraught with its you own You guys peril, make it super easy for yourselves. Like, oh my what? God, yeah. right? That's so stressful. <laughs> it's like oranges to apples to bananas to plums, like everything's so different. So you just want to make sure you're holding places to like the standards that they're asking to be held to, like not walking in the door with an expectation that this is what great dining looks like. And if you don't look like that, then that's a demerit to you. Like if you want to create an amazing high-end uh, tasting menu, then I'm with you know impeccable uh, uh, white glove service, I'll hold you to that standard. If you want to do a kick-ass craft 
craft beer bar with amazing wood-fired pizzas, we look at you through that lens. And just sort of making sure that you calibrate the list in a way that sort of reflects uh, what the restaurateur's uh, expectations and the bar they're looking to set and not the one you're trying to impose on them. Uh, so those are sort of the, does that help answer? No, I love yeah. that. Okay. I love that. Okay. Yeah. And I'm yeah. actually curious, like at the food lens, I have an eating schedule. Like I have it in my <laughs> Google Cal, like Thai food tonight at X, right? XYZ. Like, do you do that? Is totally. that part of the process? It's funny, I do. I actually, well, in addition to just putting together the list, I have like a Word doc that's just perpetually open on my laptop of new restaurants to be keeping up on because it's amazing, especially in the last couple of years, if you don't make it like a really active effort to get out there, you'll fall behind really quick. And then you got a lot of eating to do to yep. make, make up for it. And I've lost a lot of pants over the last <laughs> couple of years. So I got to be careful. You know what I mean? <laughs> Luckily, it's sweater weather, sweater weather season coming up. So that's helpful for this line of work. Yeah, that's always exciting. It lines up so really well. So I'm envisioning like, do you have this huge whiteboard or cork board and you're pinning one, five, you know, how are you putting these restaurants in order are you shuffling them around constantly? That is a fantastic idea. And I think next year there's <laughs> going to be a corkboard involved, which is going to be like a Pinterest sort of a yeah. situation. No, it's not. It's honestly, um, so we start off by having some, you know, internal editorial meetings um, and just sort of brainstorming, like, well, what are the places that like are top of mind? And what are the places that historically have sort of seemed like they belong on that list? And where do we, we need to really concentrate on whether they deserve to still be on it? Because that's the other really hard that's part. That's the hardest part. I remember even yeah. just from my one experience with you guys and just food writing in general and reviewing, like booting somebody off of their throne is a painful but necessary thing to do sometimes. It totally is because you have to make room for the next generation of folks that are coming up and doing amazing things. And just like you don't want to uh, reward a new restaurant just because it's buzzy and sexy or whatever, you also don't want to let like an old Vanguard kind of ride on you know the gas that that, that that has been fueling them over the years, they need to show that they're able to keep up in today's market. Um, so we start with a lot of internal editorial meetings, kind of like uh, you know uh, boiling down a draft of where we're going to start with. Where do we need to go back with like right now? And what are the priorities for that? Um, work within the contributors, the outside contributors, to assign things for them to investigate. Uh, and then we just kind of keep going back and forth. It's an ongoing dialogue. I keep an Excel sheet. It's not as sexy as a, pin, as a cork board, <laughs> but what are you going to do? I know. I, you need a restaurant mood board. Right? You know? It's a much <laughs> better idea. <laughs> it's a much better idea. I'm definitely doing that. Um, but no, I keep an Excel sheet, really, where like we sort yeah. of like blindly enter some point values, and then I do like really weird calculations <laughs> that are associated <laughs> with them that are completely scientific in nature. <laughs> Obviously, you know, it's been vetted by MIT. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of calculations and then uh, we come back together and talk about like the X factor that exists. Because, you know, obviously you can assign points to food, to drink, to service and environment. But sometimes there are restaurants that just, I mean, if they don't have those things, they're not going to be on the list, of course. But when it comes to placing them in a sort of a ranked order... Sometimes there are places that just like shine for this imperceptible reason that you can't quite articulate. And you really want to be able to have a human to human conversation about the fact that that's a real thing. Yeah. And we were talking about earlier, you know, like we're in this era of like, you know, online media and social media. And Catherine, you were talking about the, the good old print days. <laughs> like, Back in the day. Uh, yeah. So I'm also like an industry veteran. <laughs> Am I old enough to be a veteran? I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, it sounds great. Right? So let's go with it. <laughs> Do I sound legit or old? Maybe totally. a little bit of both. Old school, baby. Uh, but it's not an easy time for print. Uh, you obviously have these beautiful events. You have a lot of other things going on. But I'm kind of curious from your perspective, like what is lost and what is gained in this like crazy seismic shift that we've seen in 
media and print media recently as as it pertains to the Boston food scene? Sure, sure. Well, that's a great question. And I mean, it, it's it's certainly no secret that like media is transforming rapidly. It already has transformed rapidly. And it's not slowing down anytime soon. Uh, in terms of what is sort of lost or gained in the uh, evolution of print to other forms of media, one thing that I do think is really amazing about print is that you can do things with it from an emotional standpoint that I think can be really hard to capture in other mediums. Uh, for example, even when it comes to like the aesthetic of a print product, uh, just sort of the scale you're able to work with in terms of photography and imagery, that cannot be replaced by a pinch and zoom kind of experience. It just can't. And also, I think that readers and industry alike really respect the idea that with print, you are dealing with a finite number of pages. When you're talking about an online medium, I can hit control tab and like build a new post and make you another uh, article or a list or what have you. When the pages are finite, that says to people, we had to think very long and very hard about how we chose to fill these pages because the real estate was limited. The cutting room floor is a real thing. Exactly. And I think that makes a really big impact and it sort of speaks to the value of every single thing that is in there. It came from that point of view. In terms of what's gained, I mean, hey, there's a lot that's that's been gained in this transformation as well. I mean, the transformation has led to things like podcasts, you know what I mean? Where you get to have a completely... Exactly. Where you get to have a completely different way of, of interacting with, uh, with, in my case, readers, in your case, listeners, you know, but ultimately folks who are out there um, deciding how they're going to spend their money and who they're going to support and, and where they're going to get the most value for what they do. Uh, and there's a really kind of great human connection that comes with the voice that you can recre- recreate through print. You know, obviously, uh, video and social media have so many different tools that are available to them well. So there's been a lot of, of, of really positive changes. You know, I uh, I do feel being a bit old school myself too. <laughs> uh, sometimes I struggle with, especially in like, the social media space. You're always going to have people who just like respond to articles without actually reading them, and are very sort of knee jerk reactionary. Um, think because they have a um, opinion and access to a keyboard that it must therefore be valuable. And you know, like I check myself. You know, I do this for a living, and I check myself for myself. You don't know everything, the so it just always kind of kills editors. me when people. Right? <laughs> it really does. Yeah, <laughs> and so it just kind of kills me when people who like you know are not coming at it with at the very least the same amount of dedication position themselves sometimes. That could be a bit frustrating. <laughs> well, I did go out and buy the physical issue of this month's magazine. Woo! Yeah, I wanted to turn those pages, check out the beautiful photos. One of them is by that guy over there, Brian Samuels. <laughs> Shout out <laughs> to Brian Samuels. Um, <laughs> in the audience, loves to be the center of attention, in front of the camera, right? <laughs> we could talk about food forever with you. I mean, I'm Always. dying to pick your brain after this, um, but I do want to ask you our rapid-fire round of questions, right. because I feel like you've, you've been everywhere, right? I mean, pretty much, but there's always somewhere new opening every <laughs> single day, so I can only say that for like a 24-hour window. Okay, yeah. well, I want you to name your favorite Boston dumpling. Okay. Dumpling Palace, anything in Dumpling Palace, because it's like right down the street from the office, which is also extremely convenient, and they're delicious. Dive? Ooh. Um, I'm going to go with Jacques Cabaret. It's a gay dive bar in Bay Village that does really amazing drag shows, and it's like, it's a holdover from a different era, so I just love that. Love that answer. Dessert? Anything from Brian Mercury. It's amazing. And uh, lastly, Date Spot. Ooh, okay. Well, the like... The answer that won't get me in trouble is at home with my fiance. <laughs> but the other answer is uh, I live in JP, 
So Trey Gatos, mm -hmm. amazing tapas restaurant on Center Street, and they also have a record store in back. And people don't know this necessarily, but if you buy a record or like even just bring in your own, I'm pretty sure they'll play it for you, oh. which is kind of fun. So you get to pick your own soundtrack, which is really sweet. Yeah, that's a great insider so tip, right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Scott. Can we give Scott a thank round you of so applause? Much, Scott. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you thank for you. joining us. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, and thank you to Boston Magazine yeah, for putting on this Boston amazing Magazine. event. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been awesome. Yeah. Have you had a, did you have a chance to eat anything? Oh, yeah, yeah and we're going right, to blend that together. We got a few minutes. Our faces All right, good. Before we started. <laughs> and yeah, we're going to get a drink now and relax. I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll have to, we'll talk. I love it. Thank you. Catherine, have you signed up for our monthly newsletter? Molly, I'm embarrassed to say that until recently I actually hadn't. I thought I was on top of all things TFL, but it turns out I was missing out, especially on the cocktail recipes that I'm now clipping like a grandmother and filing away for as soon as I give birth. Well, I'm a little offended it took you this long, but every month we highlight new content, ranging from drool-worthy can't-miss dishes to neighborhood guides, cocktail recipes, upcoming events, and more. And you and Sarah throw the best events. I'm waiting with bated breath to see if you do Valentine's Day again this year. I am still thinking about the charcuterie boards and the raw bar. Well, now you'll be the first to know since you actually signed up. To sign up, just go to thefoodlens.com and click on the subscribe button in the upper left-hand corner. It's the best way to avoid food FOMO in Boston. This podcast was produced by Ali Pham. A special thanks to the folks at the PRX Podcast Garage. If you enjoyed what you heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with friends and family. Your help means so much to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and check out thefoodlens.com for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston.